All right, it's uh, I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth. I'm going to try to explain something to you that I see in scriptures along the way, and I don't know exactly how to explain it, so I'm going to try to make it simpler than what I've tried to do. There are times in the New Testament, oops, let me erase all of this, I've already started teaching. There are times in the New Testament you'll be reading something that's a reference to the Old Testament. You've seen me do that many times with the temple of God. Uh, The Bible will say, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Body equals temple. And then over here, it will have the Ark of the Covenant, and the high priest will come in on the Day of Atonement, and he will sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant. And he takes the blood from a goat that's offered on this this brazen altar. And then you had a brazen altar out here. And it's a toss-up as to what the word brazen means. Some say it was brass, and some say it was copper. And it doesn't matter. That's whatever it was is what it was. And this was the sea that held 2,000 gallons. And then inside the Ark of the Covenant was a law written on tables of stone. And in the New Testament, the Bible says, our, we are, our bodies are the temple of God. We are the temple. Know you not that, you're, that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And then this inner sanctuary was called the house of God. The house over here was called the house of God. House of God. I've said this so many times. Hebrews 10 and 1 says, the law having a shadow. All of this over here was a shadow. Shadow is the word skia. And the New Testament's the very image. This is the real over in the New Testament. That's the real thing. This is not the real. This is a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. Image is the word icon. Means represents. It's our word I-C-O-N. Means represents the real truth. And then over here, you've got the law and tables of stone. Over here, the Bible says the law is written on fleshy tables of our heart. Fleshy tables. Notice it says tables in the third chapter of Second Corinthians. Over here, it says tables of stone. And then over here, you had a veil, the inner the inner sanctuary is called house of God. Hebrews 3 and 6 says, Christ is the son of his own house, whose house are we. So we're the house of God. And the over here, the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled. You can find that in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. It was sprinkled with the blood of the goat, and 
over here, our hearts are sprinkled in Hebrews 10 and 22. Hebrews 10, 22. Over here you had a, over here you had a literal Jew and they had to be circumcised according to the law that God gave to Abraham. What did I say? Little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the literal Jew, not little. <laughs> little Jew, some of them are little, aren't they? The literal Jew. <laughs> ah, and the little Jew, and and they were circumcised of the flesh. Over here the Bible says that a Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. There in Romans, the fourth chapter, the second chapter, excuse me. The second chapter says, a Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart, and circumcision is of the heart. And here, over here, you had the veil, the veil that separated the inner sanctuary from the outer sanctuary. Over here, you got in Hebrews, the tenth chapter, the Bible says, we enter into they enter into the into the through the veil through the veil that is to say or equals it equals the flesh it equals the flesh and Jesus said in John 6 Except you eat my flesh, that is figurative language. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he tells us that the flesh and blood, eat flesh and drink blood was an ancient idiom of the Jews. It meant to partake in a slaughter. Then he tells you what that eat flesh and drink blood is. He says, my flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. Indeed is the word alethes, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. Alethes, it comes from the word alethea, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, which is the word truth. You have to define the word truth to see what that means. Truth comes from the word lanthano, which means to hide or conceal. It means to lie hid. When the Alpha is front of the Lanthano in the old, in the New Testament, it's a negative particle called the Alpha Privative. Alpha Privative. And the Alpha Privative negates the word, gives the opposite meaning. So it actually means no hiding anything or concealing anything. So truth, which is to eat flesh and drink blood, means to take the cover off. It has the basic same meaning as reveal or revelation. Apo K-A-L-Y-P-S-I-S Apocalypsis and it, we get our word apocalypse A-P-O C-A-P-L-Y-S-E. Apocalypse is the word revelation. 
And it is a form of the word revealed, which is apo, which means a removal of the calypto cover. So, so apocalypsis means to remove the cover and truth means not to hide anything by removing the cover. So truth and revealed are going to be basically the same meaning. And then you had the candlesticks out here. You had the candlesticks over here and the Jews. And the Bible says in Revelation, the first chapter, Jesus was standing amidst the seven candlesticks. Where did that start? How about Exodus the 25th chapter. I didn't finish the veil. The veil is the truth. And he said, the, my flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. And according, we enter in by the, through the veil that is the flesh. And the Bible says, we being many are one bread. And the bread is the flesh. He says that in John 6. So we're the bread we being many are one bread and one body, 1 Corinthians 10, 17. We're the bread and the body, and the bread is the flesh. In John 6, John 6, the bread is the body, and the body is, according to Colossians 1, 18 and 24, the body is the church. So when Jesus said, this is my body, eat of my body, he's talking about partaking of the church. It don't literally mean eat of the literal body of Christ. And you got all of these shadows over here. You got a, over here you got a cross. Over here you got a brazen altar. And all sacrifices were offered on this altar. And over here, all sacrifices are offered on a daily cross. And you had the brazen sea. It was a labor when they first come out of Egypt. But they got so big and so huge, they had to make it into a 2,000 bath sea. And this is the sea right here. Let me give it to you. You see, I thought you were going to talk about... I thought you were going to talk about the Sabbath and predestination. I am. All of this goes together. You've got to learn this. Let me see here. One of these days I'll get something that'll give me a shortcut to all this. There's the sea right there. Right there. Had 2,000 baths for all the priests. When they would offer an offering on this altar, they would come back and wash their hands and their feet. They'd wash all over at the sea. And there was... There was two oxen or three oxen facing every direction northeast west and south and these and they held up the sea and they had little spigots in the side there they'd go and wash it well over here we're washed in the blood of christ he's washed us from our sins in his own blood and when the when the ark of the covenant is sprinkled our hearts are sprinkled that's a picture of baptism because baptized comes from baptizo and babto. It was an it was incorporation of the two words. Baptizo means to cover, and babto means to stain with a dye. 
and our hearts are sprinkled. And 1 Peter 1 and 2 says, we are elected to obedience and the sprinkling of blood. And a blood baptism was a death. Sprinkling of blood. That take me further into it. I don't have time to go into it. I need to get into the regular message. I just wanted you to see that everything over here was a picture of this over here. You want to know how to study the New Testament, go to the Old Testament. I love teaching on Revelation 4, the fourth chapter, because it will tell you all about the throne of God. It's where God would come down and sit upon the throne. And that was Jesus pre-incarnate and how the seven the seven lamps were standing before the throne it will tell you about the priests that come in how they had these crowns on their head and these gold crowns that said holiness to the lord and they took those crowns and threw them at the feet of jesus who's sitting up on the throne of our hearts because they're saying we can't execute this law which is spiritual written in tables of the heart now that's just an introduction to show you how you understand the Bible, the New Testament. You have to go to the Old Testament to understand the New. Now, I've been teaching to you about, let me erase this up here. I've been teaching to you that everything in the New Testament is spiritual and everything that was literal in the Old Testament has been blotted out. The law wasn't blotted out. The law came in two parts. It came in the letter and in the spirit. The letter was the rituals. There's two handwritings, one on tables of stone over here, one on fleshy tables of the heart over here. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting. Now, you got to know which handwriting is blotted out. Handwriting of ordinances. If God has written on fleshy tables of our heart over here, the only thing that could be blotted out is the rituals over here. And everything that was once literal becomes spiritual. Every one of the holy days of the Jews, Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Ingathering, which was coupled. I've taught this, but I'm just kind of resetting this so we can see some things. Ingathering was the same thing as the Feast of Huts. The Feast of Huts, and that was also another name for that, was the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Huts and Tabernacles, all of this was in the seventh ecclesiastical month, seventh month of the Jews, and that was the month Tishri. And Tishri was our month September slash October. Since they only had 360 days in their months, they didn't exactly align with our months. And they began in the month Nisan. 
And some will say, I read in the Bible where it was the month of Bib. Well, it was in Israel, but when they got into Babylon, they called it the month Nisan, which would coincide with the word Abib in Israel, and that was March, April. March, April. Now, 50 days later would come Pentecost after that, and so everything over here was a shadow. And the Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of rituals. One of these was blotted out. Either the rituals were these over here or what was written in our hearts. Everything over here was a shadow of what's actually the real is. I've gone through it and showed you that that the Passover is now spiritual. The Bible says in Exodus, the 12th chapter, Passover would be here forever. But there were several items at the Passover. There was a lamb without blemish. And Jesus is called the Passover lamb in in say in first corinthians the fifth chapter christ our passover lamb is crucified for us first corinthians the fifth chapter and then there was a so the literal lamb is now spiritual that's christ if jesus is the spiritual lamb everything else is spiritual there was unleavened bread And the Bible says, we being many are one bread and one body with the bread because Christ is in us. Unleavened bread. And leaven was a type of sin. So we need to be without sin. Unleavened, that's the inner man that has no sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. If we say we have no sin, that's the outer man. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the unleavened bread is the church. We being many are one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. We being many are one bread. As I said a while ago, the bread was the body. We being many are one bread and one body. The body's the church. This is spiritual language. Good night. Then you had, then you had four cups at the Passover, of grape juice. Not, it says wine. You had all of these words for wine. Oinos. Uh, you had the word new wine. You had the word, you had all these other words for wine, and they didn't mean wine like we say them. There couldn't have been any intoxicating wine at the Passover. It would have had to have had a type of leaven in it, which is a type of sin, and it was against God's law to have leaven at the Passover. So you had four cups, and there was a third cup, had an official title. You can get this out of Alfred Edersheim's E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M-S. He was a Jew. He was born... In 1825, died in 1889, he was converted to Christianity, and he gives to you all of this Jewish culture in Jewish life. He will tell you in his book, The Temple, 
It's ministry and services. Ministry and services. Great book. Ministry and services. He will tell you there was a chapter in that book at several pages, and it says that the third cup was had an official title, The Cup of Blessing. When Jesus said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, and he blessed the cup, that was the third cup of the Passover, and Mr. Edersheim should know he was a Jew converted to Christianity. He's got four excellent books. The Temple's Ministry and Services, Sketches of the Jewish Social Life, The History of Israel, and The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. He'll give you things about the Jews that you had no idea. And he says the official title for the third cup of the Passover was Cup of Blessing. Paul says that this is the cup of blessing. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10, and 17, or the 10 and 16, he says, the cup of blessing which we bless. According to Mr. Edersham, that was a cup of the Passover. The cup of blessing, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. He didn't mean drink blood. That's not what he's talking about. Then they had one other item at the Passover. They had bitter herbs. That was the sop in the middle of the table. Bitter herbs. They would take the unleavened bread, dip it in the sop, and put it to their mouth. Now, I could go on and on with all of these things. The bitter herbs, the Lord kept telling Israel, I'll make you to drink wormwood if you keep going after other gods. Wormwood. You can buy wormwood at a health food store and it's good for your blood. Now, let me get into what I was going to tell you about. The reason I kind of introduced you this way is because we've been studying the third and the fourth chapters of Hebrews. Let me show you something up here. Sometimes I get into something that's so in-depth, I don't know how to explain it easy, and I try to cram it into one message. You can't do that. But I try to do that, and I have to correct myself and say, Stop that, Jim Brown. Take your time getting through it. Hebrews 3 and 4. And 4, the fourth chapter. These chapters point to, let me put it this way, they point to the book of Numbers. Numbers is one of the most interesting books in the Bible. The book of Numbers, I believe that whoever named the book of Numbers should have called it something else. I think they should have called it The Adventures of Israel in the Wilderness. Because that's what the book of Numbers is about. It's about Israel wandering in this wilderness. And the third and the fourth chapter of Hebrews is about Israel in the wilderness and how they provoke God. Let me see if I can say this where you can understand it. I've said it several times, but I don't think I've got it as clear as what I want to get it. All right. 
Let me get over here to the wilderness. I got a big picture of the wilderness. When Israel left Egypt with the, at the hand of Moses, they left in the 13th chapter of Exodus. They come down, they go in across the Red Sea right here, and that's where the waters open up, and then they uh, swallows up Pharaoh's armies. The largest army in the world that everybody was scared of and afraid of was Pharaoh's army. It was the biggest army in the world. They wander down here, go down to here to Mount Sinai. When they get to Sinai, they get to Sinai, they leave Israel in Exodus, the 13th or 14th chapters. 13, let's see, 13 and 14. And Exodus 12 is the last of 12 plagues, uh, 10 plagues, 10 plagues. And the last one is the death of the firstborn, which is the Passover, if they didn't have the blood on the doorpost of their on the doorpost, the death angel would come in and kill the firstborn. If the blood is not sprinkled upon fleshy tables of our heart over here, then we will die without Christ and our sin. That The Ark of the Covenant is our hearts. People want to know where the Ark of the Covenant is, if Indiana Jones can find it. Well, it's here. It's It's not the aorta and the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the and the right oracle and the left oracle and the tricuspid valve and the bicuspid valve. I remember that from Mr. Silverbird's class in nineteen fifty three. We studied the chambers of the heart. It's not what it's talking about. The heart was the place of understanding. Our understanding sprinkle, it's blood baptized and a blood baptism was a death. He has to give us a new heart, a new understanding. Now, so you got Israel leaving Egypt after 400 years in, in bondage. They leave, and they, they leave town in the 14th chapter. That's where Pharaoh's army is drowned. As one song says, drowned. <laughs> drowned. Pharaoh's army's got drowned. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. And they were killed and destroyed in the 14th chapter. They get up to Exodus, the 18th chapter, and that's where they get to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the same thing as Mount Horeb. It said that Mount Sinai was a string of mountains. So he went up to one of those mountains. And when he goes up on the mountain in the 19th chapter, he comes out in the 20th chapter. He's got the law written on tables of stone. Those are the ones that it's put inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled. Well, that's the tables of stones that they put in the Ark of the Covenant. That's the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down to the mountain. Then you get on, he stays there in that area. In the 25th chapter, the Lord start giving Moses 
all the laws for building all the 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 uh, products of the temple how to build the priest's robe how to build the ark how to build what the dimensions would be how big the temple would be that's a picture of the temple in that picture over there and gives him all of these how he does this all the way through Exodus Leviticus that's the law of the Levites Leviticus comes from the word Levi that was the third born of Jacob third born of Jacob and Levi would be the priesthood of Israel priesthood I got much to say about that I can't go into it right now. Now, you go through Leviticus and you get into Numbers. When you get to the 10th chapter, God has given Israel from Exodus 18 to Numbers 10. God has finished giving them all of the instructions how to build the temple, the tabernacle, how to uh, uh, build, to make the priest's robes, all of the all of the curtains and drapes for the temple, how the priests are supposed to dress when they offer all of these things. And these were all a shadow of a high priest over here and the high priest over this temple of God is Jesus holding the office of a priest forever after the altar of Melchizedek. Melchizedek it's spelled with a K in the Old Testament. When you look up in the New, it's D-E-C. So Melchizedek comes from Malak, which is a form of Moloch, or Malcolm, or Milcom, or Molech. Molech actually means Lord, but God would forbid Israel to call him Molech because that's what the pagans call their chief sun god, Moloch. And Melchizedek would be the priest that comes in through a new and living way, that is to say, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, his flesh is the bread, the bread is the body. The body is the church. And the flesh is the veil. So everything that the flesh is equal to, and the veil is equal to, everything the bread is and the body is, they're all equal. And it's all the church. So he comes through the veil, that is to say, by a new and living way. Way is the word hodos, and there's two ways. There is a narrow way and a broad way. These are the only two ways. A broad way. The narrow way. Narrow is the word Thalibo. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few will find it. Thalibo, T-H. I'll get it in a minute. T-H-L-I-B-O. T-H-L-I-B-O It is a form of the word thalipsis I'm talking when I should be writing 
T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Thalibo is the is the noun is the verb and thalipsis is the noun. It is the word tribulation. And only a few people enter the narrow way, and so we enter in and the high priest comes in through the narrow way, that is to say, his flesh, which is the bread, the body, the church, the veil. And inside of that is the house of God. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? Hebrews 3, 6. So we're the house of God. Everything over here equals this. Now, let me get back to this over here. I can't really teach... There's so many things to teach about one particular point of Scripture without going to a bunch of them. So, they leave Sinai in Numbers 10. They're down here at Sinai. And they take off on this trip. The next stop is Kadesh. Now, Kadesh is what Hebrews, the third chapter, is about. It's about Israel provoking God to anger, provoke God. And with chapter 4, it says, when Israel was in the wilderness, they did not rest. They did not rest, and it refers to the spiritual Sabbath. And you have to come to realize when Israel's going through the wilderness, this is a picture of you and I going through this life and God is throwing everything at us. The book of Numbers is about their adventures in this wilderness. They get up here to Kadesh. I've said this before. I can't say it all in a minute or two. They get to Kadesh. Sometimes it's called Kadesh Barnea. It's got it under here, Kadesh Barnea on this up here. Sometimes it just says Kadesh in a map in a book. And here's the problem. This is their first adventure. You'll find what's happening here at Kadesh. You'll find it in Numbers, Numbers, 13 and 14 and they rebel against God because they didn't rest let me say this slow they didn't rest in the fact that just a couple of months before God had beat the biggest most dangerous army in the world they should have been able to catch when God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he took off after him to catch him after God softened his heart and he trapped him up against the Red Sea. People said, oh God, we're going to die. You brought us here to die. Oh God, save us. And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God put a great big huge wall of fire against between Israel and the Pharaoh's army. A big wall of fire. Only God knows how long it was. It was long enough where they couldn't ride around it. And they watched while Moses raised up his hands 
and God opened up the sea. Now, you mean God can do that? And they're afraid of what he can't do over at Kadesh. He tells them to go into the land. And we're going to have to read this chapter. Here is Egypt. The Nile River going down from that delta land. The delta is where all those lakes come together and it overflows at certain times of the year. And they have to, the people have to move away from it. But that delta land gave them their rich land and their crops and so forth. And they crossed over this this Red Sea. They come into this Sinai Peninsula. And it comes up here, as you can see over here. Everything that's going on in the book of Numbers is a shadow of the life of the believer. They're going through all kinds of trouble. And they get to where they just cannot believe God. They don't know what to do. They, How in the world can we? They want us. God says, go up here. There's Ashkelon. There's Ashdod up there. There's Geth. That's where Goliath was from. And this is the land of Anak. So they go up here into... They go up in here into, here's the Dead Sea. There's the Jordan River going up to the Sea of Galilee. And here's the land of Anak here. That's the same thing that we call Gaza Strip. Or, during the time of David's time, they called that the land of the Philistines. And in the time when they were landing here at Kadesh, or Kadesh Barnea, when they got there, God says, send spies into this land. That happens in the 14th chapter, actually the 13th and 14th chapters of Numbers, and they send spies in for 40 days and they come back and God says go in and see what those people have they go in there and they find these giant men they in all probability were Goliath's ancestors Goliath was nine foot six inches tall we don't have anybody in the world that tall today nine foot six so he evidently had some Ten folks up there that were big. And they come back to Moses down here and they say, We can't whip those people even though God beat the Egyptians over here. You think God won't cause you to be able to beat them? David went out against Goliath. He was nine foot six and David was just a small shepherd boy, wiry at that, and very good with a sling and very good with a club. And they said, we can't go in and conquer them. So God says, just for your rebellion, this is what he called provoking God. 
They provoked God because they said, you can't cause us to win. Provoked God. You can't cause us to win. You've beat the greatest army in the world over here, but this is too big for us now. So God says, just for that, since you went in there 40 days, I'm going to make you wander through this wilderness for 40 years. A year for every day you went in there until I kill off everyone that as of Kadesh Barnea that's 20 years old all the males that are 20 years old and upward. 20. Why 20? That was military age in Israel. You had to be 20 to be a soldier in Israel. That's the very reason that David in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel was keeping the sheep and his brothers were over fighting fighting with Israel to conquer the Philistines when they marched the giant out there. He, David, wasn't old enough, but David was tough enough because he went out there and killed the giant. That's not the only reason. He was tougher later. He became Saul's bodyguard at 17 years old or 18, whatever he was. Now, everything they went through here, and we're going to find out what that has to do with the Sabbath of rest. Sabbath in the New Testament, Sabbath always means rest. It does not mean seventh means rest, Sabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T-H, and spelled similarly in the New Testament, S-A-B-B-A-T-H. It means rest. There's a word that goes with the Sabbath in Hebrews 3 and 4. It's what they did on the Sabbath or what they did not do on the Sabbath. It's more what they did not do. It is the word kata pasis. This is what they didn't do on the Sabbath. Pasis is the word pause. It means to cease. It's our word pause. To cease down kata down to cease down or to settle down and the Bible compares the people that murmured against God the soldiers he said they're not going to enter into my rest and he called that when they crossed the Jordan River he called the promised land, the rest of God, and that was God's Sabbath to them. That's a picture of us going into heaven, but it's also a picture of us while we're in this. You can write right across the Sinai Peninsula, write world of the believer. And everything that they went through, that they said we can't get through it, God says, I'll kill off all the unbelief. Now, let's get back to who? Let's go back over here. 
2. The third chapter, I've read this before. I can't say it all at once. It's too much to it. Let's go to the third chapter of Hebrews, and I'll start where we started earlier. Now, let me read verse 6. Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? The house of God was called the inner sanctuary because he dwelt between the cherubim. Dwelt means to build a house or be married to Israel. Now, he says in verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, like they did in the wilderness when they hardened against God and said, we can't conquer those people of Anak. Harden not your hearts as in the day when they provoked God in the wilderness. They provoked him by saying, you can't do what you did with Pharaoh. That's what they were saying. There are several places the Bible speaks of Israel hardening their heart, but the first place they did it was in Numbers 14. They just they had just come into into eat into Sinai, and they said, "God wants to go in and attack the Anakims, and we can't do it because God can't beat them like He beat Pharaoh." What it was, it was unbelief. Unbelief is the exact opposite. The Bible tells us unbelief. is the exact opposite of Sabbath. Sabbath means to rest. And the Bible says unbelief is unrest. They cannot rest. And this is our example. It doesn't matter what obstacles you come against in this world. Rest in the fact. But you can't rest unless you're believing God. You cannot come up and say, well, God will conquer this. I bought this car, and it's got an $800 car payment, and I lost my job. But God will make me save it. No, he won't. First of all, you shouldn't be about an $800 a month car payment. You have to be committed to God, bound his will, in order for him to deliver you. And that's all they had to do in the wilderness. Bow to the will of God. Say, well, if he wants us to go, two men came up and said, we'll go and conquer those people. And those two men was Joshua and Caleb. Those were the only two above 20 years old that came out of the wilderness and crossed the Jordan River and got to possess this, as the Bible calls it, rest or Sabbath. You have to know what the Sabbath is. What day do we believe God now? Every day. I'll tell you what it's taken me getting into my 60s and 70s to learn no matter what happens, it's the will of God. No matter how the enemy rises up. When you learn who God is, you quit putting yourself in situations and then expect God to bring you out when you dive into a, a pool of something that can't hold you up. 
and you can't swim in it, kind of like jumping into a tank of oil. You can't swim in oil. You'll drown. Now, let's keep reading. Harden not your hearts, as when Israel provoked God in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works, forty years in the wilderness. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my hodos, my ways. There's one way, it's narrow. Narrow is the meat be crowded through a narrow opening and pressured on all sides. They were being crowded by the pagans all the way through the wilderness on all sides. And that was the narrow way they were going through. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in the heart. They haven't known my hodos, my narrow ways, my ways. So I swear, and it doesn't say my wrath, it says the wrath of the people. It's feminine gender. It's tay or gay. Tay or gay. O or G. Ada. Anything that ends in Ada, it's feminine. The reason it's feminine gender, the people had a Babylonian attitude. Babylon was the mother of all idolatry, Revelation 17 and 5. And she was founded on, let us make us a name. They had made themselves a name in the wilderness. We looked at these giants, and they're just too big for us. That was their own authority, their own name. Name means authority. Onoma in the Greek, Shem in the Hebrew. Take heed, brethren, that there be in any view that where it was in the people in the wilderness an evil heart of unbelief. They didn't believe God could conquer. A-P-I-S-T-I-S. That's the word unbelief. It comes from pistis, which is the word faith. The alpha primitive in front of word negates the word. Apistis is no faith. They didn't believe God could conquer. If you don't think God can conquer, you're... First of all, you got to be believing God. You don't go out here and buy a car you can't afford, buy a house you can't afford, and then expect it not to be foreclosed on. You live within your means. In departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today. He said they could not enter in, in verse 11, into my rest, my kataposis, that's the word, they couldn't enter in. Those that murmured against God couldn't enter into my rest. Cut apostles. That is the word used for what they didn't do on the Sabbath. Sounds funny to say what they didn't do, but you didn't do nothing on the Sabbath. You stayed in your house. You laid down, ate your bread. You didn't go anywhere. Exodus, the 16th chapter, tells it. Everybody had to stay in his place on the Sabbath. You couldn't travel at all. There, there was no such thing as a Sabbath day's journey. The Pharisees invented that. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts the way the Jews did in the wilderness. As in the provocation, it was one provoking of God. 
For some, when they had heard, did provoke God. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Everybody didn't provoke God in the wilderness. Those soldiers that went in that were 20 years old and upward, they provoked God, said, we can't beat those guys. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? God calls rebellion against him. Unbelief is sin. He named it as sin here. And to whom swore he not that they should enter into his kataposis, his rest? But to them that believed not that they could go in and beat those land of Anak people. And all the time they were in the wilderness, they're constantly provoking God, murmuring against him, saying, Moses, you and Aaron brought us out here to die. You'd wonder why God didn't kill all of them. Something else. And then he says, so we see they could not enter into what? Into the rest of God, which is his Sabbath, because of unbelief, apistis, A-P-I-S-T-I-S, no faith. No faith in God for the trials that they come across. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you like it did Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. Don't think it's strange. Strange, Knizo, X-E-N-I-Z-O. Knizo comes from X-E-N-O-S, means a, a stranger, an occasional guest. That's not occasional guest when you're in the wilderness of this world. That's a daily requirement. The trying of your faith works patience. The trying of your faith is all through this wilderness. Of, you can call the Sinai Peninsula the world of sin. That's what you can call it. But the book of Numbers is about our lives in this life and all that we are confronted with. It's a shame you have to get to be in your 60s or 70s before you can learn to depend on God. If you get old enough, you get weak enough, like I'm weak now at 81, I'm not real strong. I can feel my strength is waning. I can feel my strength is getting down. Another few years, I don't know if I'll be able to stand up here. I'll sit on a bench and teach till I can't sit. I don't like what the preachers are saying out here. They don't teach this when they're teaching this. So they could not enter into the rest of God where do you get that has to do with the Sabbath? The next chapter. Let's start reading. Let us therefore fear, fear what? Fear God. Let us phobo or phobeo, P-H-O-B-E-O. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. You have to fear God. They didn't have any fear of God when they're in the wilderness. They thought, we can't conquer them. We'll go by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Not by how big the world is, how we can't conquer it. It's not how we walk. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left. Remember. Remember something before I go further here. C-H-A 
P T E R four verse one is not in the text. It's not in the text. The the copy continues, the body continues. Coming out of chapter 3, they only put 4 verse 1 so you can find it as an English-speaking person. These were in scrolls. They didn't start or finish the thought with chapter 4. They're continuing the thought from chapter 3. Let us therefore, there is a, a coordinating, a, not a coordinating, a, it's a subjective, it's a subjunction but it's conditional what's been said. Let us therefore fear. Fear referring back to the people that didn't enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, his kataposis, which is equated with Canaan. Any of you should come short of it. The way you come short, you murmur against God while you're in the wilderness. Well, God can't conquer my enemy here, and he can't conquer my enemy here, and he can't conquer it here, and he can't conquer it here. He says, yes, I can, and I'll do it my way, but submit yourself unto God, and he will lift you up. He'll conquer your enemies in due time. I went out to try to conquer the world as a singer, and as a preacher, and it didn't work. I had to quit running with the world. Now, let's keep reading. Let us fear God, lest, uh, lest a promise being left us, let us, left us of entering into his rest. He's called apostles. Any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached. Boy, I've got a lot to say about that. As well as unto them. It's preached unto us as it was unto these people that were in the narrow way. He's talking about the same subject all through this. And any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto those people that were in the wilderness. And the word preached did not profit them. They didn't listen in the wilderness. Not being mixed with faith. Faith is death to self. Don't have time to go into that. But they didn't have faith. The Bible says they had no faith. Those people, Apistus, those people that didn't believe God could conquer the land of Anak. Let me remind you, I'll keep reminding you that he conquered the biggest army in the world at the time by bringing a great flood over him. Boy, did Moses didn't expect that. And there's one thing for sure, Pharaoh didn't expect that, to see a tidal wave coming from the distance. And he tells you in this, he's comparing our plight with theirs in the wilderness. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, talking about those that were in the wilderness. And the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, death to self. And them that heard it, I hope you can understand the need for us to understand 
that no matter how big the enemy looks, God could conquer it his way. He won't conquer it your way. He'll make you come through it his way. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Katapasis. Belief equals the rest of the Sabbath. And believe is the same thing as faith. <clears throat> believe equals Sabbath. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief, the ones that he killed in the wilderness. Faith is faith is the noun, believe is the verb. Faith and verb. Believe is the word P I S T E U O. Faith is P I S T I S. P I S T is the stem of the word. Everything is is built on the stem. So faith equals the Sabbath. For we which have believed do enter into God's rest, like they were supposed to enter into Canaan, which was God's rest or his spiritual Sabbath. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, that is actually not my wrath, it's the wrath, the wrath of the people. If they shall enter into my katapasis, rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What he's saying, if you want to rest, you've got to realize everything you're going through, everything was ordained before the world began. Was all of this already ordained? Were those guys, were they ordained to be in the land of Anak, Gaza, Ascalon, and Ashdod up here? Were they ordained? Was all these problems in the wilderness ordained before Moses? God didn't wait till Moses got across the river and said, okay, now I'll ordain all these things to happen. That was ordained before he left Egypt. That was ordained before the foundation of the world. God wants to try us by these firing trials just to show us he can put us through them. Boy, I didn't believe that when I was young. I thought I had to fight the battle myself. You can't fight the battle. Everybody that hears me pray, I say, Lord, fight our battles. I can't fight them no more. I'm tired. I don't feel like fighting them. And I know you will if I leave it up to you. But if I'm living righteously and godly, and I don't mean some self-righteousness. I mean, dikaya osune. I mean, eusebia. I mean, the Greek words and what they mean. For we which believe do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in the wrath of the people, if they shall enter into my katapasis, my pausing down, my settling down, which is Canaan, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, a day of rest, they didn't go to church, they couldn't drive a car. They couldn't ride a mule. They couldn't have any pleasure. They had to they had to lay in their house and every man stay in his place on the Sabbath day. Rest and think about the works of God. And God did rest the seventh day from all of his works. 
God did katapasis. That's the rest of the Sabbath day. God did katapasis the seventh day. That's what you do on the seventh day. Not the seventh anymore. It's just every day is the Sabbath. We rest in the things that God is doing with every difficulty we come across. In this place again, if they shall enter into my katapasis, my settling down, seeing therefore it is, it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of apistus, unbelief, no faith. What was the no faith about? That God couldn't conquer their enemies. Do you have that problem? That God can't conquer your enemy? Uh, your job, your boss on the job, your your car payment, your house payment. Move to a smaller house. It's a shame that people go out here and look at a house and, oh dear, I can work three jobs. If you can work two, we can make this house snow. We can't buy no furniture for about 10 years, but I've seen that happen when I was in real estate. I showed one house one time, walked in out here in rich part of town, and a woman said, uh, we hadn't had time to buy our furniture yet. I went back about six months later, and she said, oh, we hadn't had time to buy our furniture. They had a house payment that was killing them. It's both working all the time to make the house note. God's not going to deliver you out of that. He's going to say, get out of that house. Again, he limits a certain day, saying in David, Today, today, he limits a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And if Jesus had given them rest in the wilderness, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day and there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God that word rest is fantastic it's quoting the English word rest but the Greek word is sabbatismos he's equating the sabbath s-a-b-b-i-s-t sabbat S-A-B-B-A-T-I-S-M-O-S. He's equating the katapasis, which is belief, which is belief, with Sabbath. Therefore, unbelief, apistus, equals no Sabbath. And you can't have a Sabbath in your life of resting. Sabbath means rest, whether anybody believes that or not. It means no Sabbath. Well, we might write it like this. A-S-A-B-B-A-T-H. The alpha privative negating the word means no Sabbath. That's what no belief is. God equates belief with Sabbath. You rest in that God can conquer every enemy you have. 
That's the spiritual Sabbath. And what day is that? Every day. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? 25. All right, boy, I've covered a lot of territory here. And he says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into God's Sabbatismos, which he equates with that Sabbath out of the previous verse. For he that is entered into God's settling down, he hath ceased from his own works. He ceases from his sin. Sin is unbelief. Sin is no Sabbath. As God did from his. Let us labor. Boy, isn't that a word? Let us labor. I didn't think you were supposed to labor on the Sabbath. Well, the Jews, the the uh, let us labor. Now look what it says. Let us labor. When we labor, we enter in. Therefore, to enter in to the Sabbatismos which would be God's Sabbath, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And it's a reference to these people in the third chapter. They didn't believe God. When God says, conquer your enemies, they said, we can't, they're too big. When you think your enemies are too big for God to conquer, oh, he won't do it your way. He'll conquer them his way. He'll conquer them in your life. But one thing you have to learn, you have to learn not to associate with people who like to fight and people who want to, they're in unbelief and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them and separate from them. If they don't want to hear it, leave them alone. Until you learn that, you have to learn how to live godly before you can believe God. And learn, well, you believe God, and then he teaches you how to live God. Let me show you something here. Look over here in Mark 12. Mark 12. Mark 12. Mark, the 12th chapter. Oh, excuse me, Matthew, the 12th chapter, not Mark 12. Matthew 12. And look here in in verse 5. Speaking of, let's read a little bit before that. Let's read a little bit before. Speaking of Christ, or speaking of David, how he entered into the house of God, did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only the priest. Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how that the Sabbath, on the Sabbath days, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? They're not to be blamed. They're working inside that temple all day long, offering sacrifices and they're defiling the Sabbath by working all day long, and they offer sacrifices in the 
to purify this outer area. But people don't gather there to hear any priest say anything. They stay at home on the Sabbath. Exodus the 16th chapter. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrows and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm going to stop here and go back to Numbers, the 13th chapter. What Hebrews 3 and 4 is talking about is Hebrews all through the book of Hebrews where they are provoking God. They provoke God. They got into the wilderness. It's a picture of us living in this life and how we don't have any faith. We say, God can't conquer this enemy. I'll take it on myself. I'll do them in. I'll take them to the law. I'll hit that guy in the mouth. It's not conquering your enemies. All they're going to do is get up and swing back at you. Do I have any time, Mike? Huh? Let's look here in Numbers. Those two chapters are talking about numbers. Numbers. 13 and 14. I gave you some of 13 last week. It just says Joshua and Caleb are the only two. They said, we'll take that mountain. Caleb stilled the people before Moses there in verse 30 and said, let us go up at once and possess this land. And God had said, I'm going to destroy everybody in the land that's above 20 years old. And the men went up with him and said, we are not able to go up against these people. They're too big. They're too tall. They're too strong. That's a picture of us coming against some insurmountable thing in our life and say I can't conquer this I'll have to force this to be right you can't fight the world the world is too strong we've got a God that can fight them for they're stronger than we and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying this is in verse 32 of chapter 13 Though which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants. These people are too big. They've destroyed everybody in the land. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They're the Anakims, men of Anak. There we saw the giants, sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight. We were... We were in our own side as grasshoppers upside these guys. And so we were in their sight. Then we get into chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. They're crying because they think we're going to die. These guys, we can't get past them. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses. See, you brought us out here to die, didn't you, Moses? And against Aaron and the whole congregation and said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. You brought us out here for no reason, Moses. They didn't believe God's preacher. 
You can believe Moses. He's the one that held his arms up. God opened up that Red Sea in that 14th chapter of Exodus. And all of Pharaoh's armies were drowned. Oh, would God we had died in the wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword of these men of Anak? Is that what you think when you come against difficulties? God's going to have to kill off unbelief in your body. And he does that through all kinds of trials. And the unbelief in you is a picture of all the men 20 years old and upward that have to die. The Bible says that in verse 29 of this same chapter. Look at verse 29. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your own number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. You're going to die in this wilderness in this next 40 years. Let's go back over here to verse 4. And they said one to another, let us make us a captain that we can return into Egypt, all the unbelievers. God says, these are the men that's going to die. I didn't bring you out here so you can perish. I brought you out here to take you into the Sabbath land of Canaan. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, because Joshua and Caleb were the two that said, we'll go fight these men of Anak. They're the only men that were above 20 that got to enter into the land 40 years later. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search, it is an exceeding good land and the Lord's delight in us then he will bring us into this land give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey Mr. Edersheim explained that in the sketches of the Jewish social life he said it was actually a land of flowing he said the goats were so full of milk that water that milk would be running out of their udders onto the ground and that honey was all over the place that meant it was full of bees and they were pollinating all over the land it was a land flowing with milk and honey only rebel not ye against the Lord but with your unbelief unbelief is rebellion neither fear ye the people of the land I don't care how big they are God is telling us that I don't care how big your problem is you think I can't fix it you're going to have to be obedient to me first of all don't go out there trying to take on more than you can take on that's what's wrong with America they got too much money and they're spending too much they're talking about in the trillions of dollars now for this deal and that deal back when Obama took office back 12 years ago we only he talked about raising the 
national debt with the ceiling from nine trillion up to ten trillion. People say we can't do that. Now they're we're allocating four trillion dollars for this and five for this. We can't keep lasting with that. Rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They will be our bread. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. He's telling us, don't fear your enemies in life. First of all, you can't take on more than you can handle and depend upon God and live a sober life where you can afford to live and don't take on more houses and cars than you can. For all the congregation bade stone them with stone. Let's kill let's kill Moses and Aaron, these two brothers that led us out here. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, not abhor me, my words? I said, go into the land and spy out the land. Don't say, don't come back and unbelieve and say, we can't conquer them, God, and you can't either. You realize how these chapters right here are about our lives? It's about how we are supposed to live godly and righteously, live modestly within our means, and God will conquer your enemies. Do the things he said to do. How long will this people provoke me? These are the days of provocation. The word provoke, not oughts, means to abhor my word. N-A-A-T-S. It means to provoke me with their unbelief that I can't handle their problems. How long will these people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me and all the signs which I have showed among them? I showed them all kinds of signs in Egypt. I've given them manna in the morning. i got a fire to lead their way. Their shoes don't wear out. They don't get blistered in the wilderness. Their feet don't swell up. That sounds crazy, but they're in 134 degrees heat, and their feet don't even swell up. They got on sandals in the sand. And I will smite them with a pestilence, and I'll disinherit them. will make of thee a greater nation, Moses, mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, If you do this, Lord, the Egyptians shall hear it, for... Thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people. People say, Moses changed God's mind. No, he didn't. God God provoked Moses to pray that prayer. That thou art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over us, says them, but over this people, and that thou goest before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill them all, God, this people as one man, 
Then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring the people into the land which he sware to them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. Now Moses is still praying to God. Now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great. God put these words in Moses' mouth. According as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. You're not going to clear the guilty of these that said we can't go in the land. You're going to kill them all off from 20 years old and upward. Can you see how that Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter, is the very image of these in the wilderness. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. That's not talking about visiting the penalty. That's saying, if you rebel, you're going to teach your children to rebel, and they'll be rebelling in their generation. If you smoke, don't expect your kids not to smoke. If you drink and cuss, don't expect them not to. They will to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, Moses, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's the same thing as the Gentiles coming to the light. God is saying that Israel here is going to rebel. And he tells them even in Deuteronomy 28, when you get in the land, you're going to go after these sun and tree gods, and you're going to be scattered before you even get to the land. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in the Egypt and the wilderness, have tempted me, now saw, means to test or prove me, now these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice. These ten times, what's he talking about? The ten plagues in Egypt. Surely they shall not see the land. The ones that have murmured against me in the wilderness here at Kadesh Barnea, they're not going to finish the journey and cross the Jordan River right above the Dead Sea and go in and possess the land. They're not going to the land. But neither was Moses. He murmured against God. We'll have to cover that another time. Now, they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to spare the other people, not these that were practicing unbelief. And that's talking about us in this life. There's an inner man and an outer man in us. The inner man can't quit sinning. And I can tell you as a personal testimony that that outer man, God will start killing it off the older you get. The outer man is self. Paul said there's an inner man that serves the law of God. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's an outer man that can't quit sinning. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. His seed remains in him and he cannot sin. 
But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us, not in us. That sounds contradictory. That's the inner and the outer man that talks about in Rome. Paul talks about it in Romans 7, talks about it in Colossians 3, talks about it in Ephesians the fourth chapter, talks about putting on the inner man in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And God over years, just like he did here, let's just say over 40 years of your life, that's kind of what he did to me. When I was 20, I was this real dedicated young Christian boy. God put me out there in gospel music. I got into sin. I got into myself. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be famous and a Christian at the same time and have my sin at the same time. You can't do that. So over the years, God put me through trials and tribulation and fire and persecution until he's got me at 81 years old. And I don't want myself just a little bit. I've got a thin veneer of self. But when you're in your 80s, you better be over yourself. If you're not, God's going to kill you shortly thereafter. So, do I have any time left, Mike? Yeah. I'll just read the rest of this. And my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land. Whereunto he went, and, he, and his seed shall possess it. And now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. And tomorrow turn you and get you in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 26, unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings, their contrariness, their obstinance of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. They're the only two. Because they said, we'll go fight these men of Anak. But your little ones, which you said should be a prey to these nations, them will I bring in. I'll bring them to the land. Because they were under 20 years old as of Kadesh Barnea. And they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness over the next 40 years. And that's what he says a day for a year. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms. And whoredoms, that's what God called worshiping other gods or their selves. Until your carcass be wasted in the wilderness. And after the number of days which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities even forty years and ye shall know my breach of the pro- of the promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me, 
in this wilderness, they shall be consumed. It was all because they didn't believe they could go in and conquer the land, and they didn't have to rely upon themselves. All they had to do was believe God. That's all you and I have to do. When you don't say, I believe God, I'm going to get what I want. No, that's not believing God. You have to humble yourself and say, Lord, let me serve you in righteousness and godliness and holiness. And let me not push myself. Let me think of others. Let me think of you and others, first of all. When you do that, God will fight your battles. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all the evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness shall they be consumed, and there they shall die. That's the outer man that's got to be dying in us. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land and against God, even these men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. That's a picture of self being crucified and dying off. Am I out of time? I hope you can get a hold of this because you can't study Hebrews 3 and 4 without studying Numbers 13, 14 and other verses in. This is the first confrontation with God to the Israelites in the wilderness. They had many others. We'll cover some of those. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Cause us to continue this work. Help the people to see how they need to trust you. Not living a high lifestyle, but just living godly for you. And saying, I'm going to depend on the Lord to conquer my enemies. Even they're overwhelming and I can't begin to conquer them. Thank you for everything. Lord, you fight our battles. We can't fight them anymore. I can't, Lord. I submit to you to fight my enemy. We'll praise you for all things. Lead us to your family. Open up many doors for this ministry. We'll praise you for it all in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that wasn't too many, too much information. Sometimes people have a hard time absorbing that much.